Well, hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I want to give a shout out to SR Sevier, who left us a review on iTunes. I don't know if this person said, Michael's one of the best hosts and all his episodes are loaded with tons of knowledge, not only for beginners, but also for experienced investors as well. We do try to balance that a little bit. If you're looking for top-notch guests, content, and ideas, look no further than the show. Incredible value. Thank you. If you love the show, give us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you and give you a shout out as well. And uh, let's get right into the episode here. We're going to bring Garrett on the show. Garrett, what's going on today? Michael, how you doing? Well, good. We're just a few days from DealMaker Live happening at the Hilton Anatole, uh, literally coming out here later this this week. If you haven't uh, joined us for that yet, you still have a few days. It's funny. There's a whole bunch of people that literally book the same day. So you probably still have a couple days. It's at the Hilton Anatole. Go to DealMakerLiveEvent.com to still grab tickets. Uh, we'll love to see you in person. There's also a live stream component. But speaking of going to events, one of the things that's really important is relational capital. We have a lot of different kinds of capital. Let's talk about relationships. How, how are those important to this business? So I'm going to tell you a quick story on this that I think is relevant. And I, I can't wait for this, this event coming up because it's another opportunity to get into this. But when I exited my first business, I worked so hard in this business and I had you know my team around me. But what I didn't have a lot of was something called relational capital, which is which is basically people that you know that you can potentially reach out to for things, to partner with, to do other things. I didn't go to events. I didn't do anything. So when, when it was time for me to essentially restart or get back into the industry, I didn't even know who to go or turn to. So I literally had to make up for lost time. And what I did is I, I was like, I'm going to book one event per month minimum for the next year. And lo and behold, that's what I did. I, I built up my network, but it took me a year of like speed dating to get back into the game. And, and then I, I met Michael and Drew. And so and now we're doing things. But the point is, is that relational capital is one of those things that you absolutely must have. You must know people. You have to network in person and, and build these relationships in order to be able to succeed in business in general, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Networking is absolutely key. And in fact, it reminds me back when we had it in person in 2019, also at the Hilton Anatole in Dallas, you know, the Four Oaks Capital guys got to get together at that event and form the company, the four of them. And they're not the only ones. That's very, very common for people to join venture. It's almost uncommon not to join venture. And, and you can do this online too. We did it for a good over a year on Zoom people were able to meet online and I think that's great. I mean, what else can you do? But now we have to do a way to do it in person. And what happens is people are typically, they, they're two camps. One is the deal finder camps, right? These are the people who are very analytical, numbers oriented, maybe a little shy, but they love to crunch the numbers and, and negotiate with, with brokers and sellers. On the other hand, are the capital finders, right? The capital raisers. These are relationship people, more extroverted. And those two form the best partnerships and um, there's no one no better place to find each other than live events like deal make live yeah like it's it's actually a great thing because you know you know what you bring or maybe you don't know but you're trying to get more information but a lot of you know you're like all right i'm good at this and but i i need this you know i need i need i wish i knew how to raise money better or i love raising money but i don't know how to find deals it's just not my thing you could meet that perfect person and have have that one conversation that changes the trajectory of your life forever. It could be one single relationship away from 
from a whole new relationship. And, you know, I, uh, I, I had a chance to hang out in Belize a couple of weeks ago and their guest today hung out with him, Low Hornbuckle. And what I love about going to conferences like this, obviously, Dealmaker Live is all about multifamily and how to become financially free so you can make a difference. Uh, but every once in a while, I like to go to I like to go to conferences that bring other asset classes together. And this is an example of that. So when I learn more about what Lowe does, he focuses on assisted living. And, and a lot of you watching, listening to this probably have heard that. Uh, but it's typically converting a large house into assisted living facility. And there's some downsides to that, uh, getting into it and scaling that. And Lowe has doing it on a much larger scale. So he's going to educate us about this assisted living facility asset class, how he's, how he's doing it at scale, how he's overcoming some of the issues with single family that you're converting. And he's also teaching us a lot of great lessons on entrepreneurship along the way. So let's get right in the show here with Lowe Hornbuckle. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Hey, Lo, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. Really yeah. excited to be here. Yeah, I see your your hair is slowly wafting in the uh, in the Caribbean breeze. If you're not if you're not watching this right now on on YouTube, uh, Lowe's kind of got the palm tree on the back. Kind of reminds me of Belize where we're hanging out a couple of weeks ago, Lowe. That's right. We had a nice time in Belize. Uh, this imagery doesn't look exactly like Belize, but it definitely has a Belizean Belizean feel. It was good to see you, and uh, obviously. Uh, you know, reconnect. Uh, it was hard last year with uh, not a lot of in-person things happening. So, you know, obviously we're on LinkedIn and the Facebook and all that stuff. So it's really good to just connect in person again. Yeah. What are you doing right now with assisted living? Like what, what have you been doing? And then we'll kind of dig into your story a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. So right now, I mean, I, I, our real main focus is, is we're, we're developing assisted living and memory care. I think when a lot of people hear that, they kind of picture something in their head you never see Shark Tank and they talk about, you know, the better mousetrap. We're literally designing and building uh, something we think is disruptive to the industry. So we have kind of a unique approach to the physical plan of assisted living and memory care. And then we kind of have a unique approach to operations. Um, but if you're kind of familiar with marketing, sometimes what happens is, is that your operations can be unique. But if your building looks like all the other buildings, there's no real lead in to let the customer know that you're actually different and unique in any way. And so our physical plant sort of sparks a conversation about how operationally we're different. So that's, that's really what we're working on right now. Well, so operational is different. We'll get that in a second. But how are your actual assisted living facilities different themselves? You're saying you're kind of disrupting the industry. How are you doing that? Yeah. So the biggest thing to think about is you know, how many stories do you picture an assisted living in your head? If I say assisted living, what do you think? Yeah, three, four stories, kind of a big box building, you know, maybe a pool, a campus, a restaurant, something like that. I don't know, Garrett. What sure. do you think? I think one. <laughs> yeah, ideally you'd think of one, but yeah. a lot yeah. of places have mid-rise facilities like what Michael's describing. If we ask the average person what assisted living thinks about, they often picture a nursing home. Sometimes I picture what Michael was talking about. You absolutely like to Garrett's point, you want to be horizontal, uh, not vertical. So uh, what we do is we build all horizontally. So none of our none of our buildings have stairs or elevators for the residents, which that's not that disruptive. But the difference is, is that instead of having one building for 160 residents, we'll have 10 buildings that house 16 residents in them. We'll get the same number of residents in terms of the scaling. We'll have 10 different licenses we have to apply for as opposed to one. Well, what that means is now we have a boutique experience for the residents. And so now people can segregate or congregate in much smaller settings. So what we've done is we've taken the residential assisted living model um, that you're probably familiar with. And we've taken the big box model, which Michael described, and we created a permutation of the two. And my friend, Steve Moran, who's kind of an influencer in the healthcare industry, has, has termed us 
investment grade REL. And so that's really what we think about ourselves. We call ourselves a planned care home community, kind of a campus of care homes. And it solves a lot of the scaling problems of residential assisted living, but then you get the same outcome advantages that you get over the big box that you were describing, Michael. What are some of the scaling problems of residential? First of all, define residential assisted living and then talk about what the scaling problems are. Sure. Well, first thing is just to be brief for your audience. There's quite a few things when people say the word senior housing. So if you read a Wall Street Journal article about senior housing, they could be talking about a lot of different things. It can be very confusing. So first off, you have independent living. That just basically means that it's a housing situation, but there's no care being delivered. There are subsets of that for the purpose of our conversation today. We'll call that independent living, also called IL, pretty basic. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have skilled nursing, also called SNF. These are people that have complex medical conditions that need massive oversight. They have nursing oversight, often have a medical director in the facility. You know, our good friend in common, Victor Minash, calls them hospitals with a better paint job. So those are the two ends of the spectrum. We're kind of in the middle. So assisted living and memory care um, help people out both on a hospitality side, but also on a healthcare side. And we're less care than a skilled nursing environment, but we're more care than an independent living facility. So the basic difference is assisted living. Generally, you have mobility challenges, mobility impairments. In the dementia care, memory care side, you have cognitive impairments. And that can also include things like Parkinson's or other things that might cause you to have poor memory or impulse control. So we focus on the assisted living and the memory care aspect of the business. So your original question, REL. So REL stands for residential assisted living. It goes by a few different names. I like to think about it as sort of small assisted living and memory care facilities. And so really the war between the two sides is really on sizing, small versus large. You know, do you want to be in a large place? You want to be in a small place? Well, the problem with residential assisted living, in my opinion, there's almost no question that it produces better outcomes. When you're in a group of 10 people versus a group of 100 people, you're almost always going to get more attention. You're going to fall less. The food quality is going to be better. The space is going to be more easy to navigate. You know, so you got mobility challenges. You have less long hallways. There's tons of advantages. But the scaling problems are numerous. So the first is there's almost no third-party management in RAL. You have to be the operator owner yourself, whereas in most other businesses, you can hire a third-party management company. I know you guys know way more about that than I do in your line of work. So you, so you have to manage it yourself. Well, let's say you're a successful person and you want to you add a care home to your portfolio. Well, now you got to do a lot of work to get that open because you can't really hire a third-party management company to do that for you. So you have to have a portfolio to solve that problem. The other really big problem that nobody really talks about, if you were going to call a bank, if you were to call JP Morgan Chase right now, hey, JP Morgan Chase, you're a big bank. I want to finance my residential assisted living facility. They're like, what are you talking about? Well, what is that? They wouldn't know to send you the commercial department or the residential department. If you hire an appraiser, you know, if you're converting a single family home, let's say you find a mansion somewhere and you want to convert it into an eight, eight, 10, 15 bed facility. Are they appraising it as a single family home? If they're appraising it after construction, how do they how do they appraise that? So it creates all these problems and challenges. Those problems don't exist in big buildings because they have a very clear specific use. So when you turn these things into a campus, then they appraise on and they're on commercial land, then they're appraising like any other assisted living and memory care facility would. You have all the outcome advantages of smaller buildings, but you have all the scaling advantages like transportation, executive director with the activities coordinator and social work. You have all the things that you have in the big buildings, except instead of having one building for 160, we have 10 buildings for 16. Yeah, it does. So what you're doing is you're preserving kind of the personal experience 
that uh, that residents have, but yet you're solving a lot of the scaling issues that you just described by basically putting a bunch of houses together, right? Are these like duplexes? Like describe the campus that you're that you're building and what how many people live in each in each house or unit. Yeah. So initially we'll build five or six homes. So the first thing is, and this is one of our key propositions, is when you drive up to the campus, there's actually the only two-story building on the campus is a two-story sales and admin office. So they pull up to the campus. They want to learn about our, our community. They can actually learn about us and engage in a conversation with our medical team, with our with our tour team, without ever stepping foot in a facility. So that's really powerful because you can have really intense conversations. You look, if someone's looking at an apartment complex, you know, it's like location, pricing, amenities. But when it you're taking care of mom or dad, you're taking care of the spouse. A lot of it's about their unique situation. What problems do they have? What are their goals? What are they trying to solve? So the tour process is very important. So when you drive to the campus, there's a two-story building, and then it looks like a regular neighborhood. In fact, one of our goals is when it's being developed, we want the neighbors to be like, wow, they're building a lot of really big mansions over there. And then only later do they figure out that instead of a neighborhood full of 3,000 square foot houses, it's just 9,000 square foot houses designed to take care of 16 people. And so just picture you drop in any neighborhood and instead of 3,000 square foot houses, they're 9,000 square foot houses. And maybe from the front, you would notice they all have sort of covered porches. So ambulances could drive under, you could drop off mom or dad, not get rained on. And then the houses are all purpose built. The shape of the house is really one of our unique selling propositions. If you think about from a construction cost, you know, look, you don't have to be a genius at development or construction. No, the cheapest thing you could build is a rectangle. And you just do like a bunch of doors on either side, and, and that's where people live. The problem is that's not very good for delivering outcomes. And so we actually build what I like to call kind of a fat H. So think about 16 beds and you have four quadrants um, in each part of the H. And then the middle part of the H is really fat. And that's where the kitchen, common area, dining room are contained. So our longest hallway in our new developments are about 50 feet. You can literally go into an assisted living facility where you, you, you would have a good time siding in your rifle because they're 200-yard hallways. And, and by that, I mean, like, they're incredibly long. Like, you can't, you can't see very well. Um, if you're mobility challenged, you could literally have to go down a 200-yard hallway, get on an elevator, go down to the elevator, turn a bunch of corners to go to restaurant-style dining with 80 or 100 other people. And it's just a totally different experience. Yeah. It's almost like if you think about, like, factory farming versus, like, sustainable farming, right? So the whole idea is, is that, you know, you're contemplating – making people individuals and not just making part of a process. Do you feel like you're stuck with your multifamily syndication business? Have you tried various different things and they just kind of petered out? You know, it's not your fault because it's really hard to do this on your own. If you want to work one-on-one -on -one with a full-time syndicator, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor because that mentor is going to help you do your first deal much faster. And they're going to help you avoid some of the pitfalls and the big mistakes you can make in the business. So if that describes you, check out our mentoring program. In fact, we guarantee that you'll do your first deal in the first year. It's the only program that we know of that does that. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. So go to the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor, fill out a short form, and then we'll have a conversation. Looking forward to it. So Lo, well, this is super interesting, but something led you to this discovery. What were you doing before this that kind of teed you into this this unique proposition well my in my case those are two very different questions so what was i doing before this or what led me to this business <laughs> i guess i guess a bit of both <laughs> yeah so i mean my career path is a very traditional assisted living and memory care one I, I worked in a car dealership i was selling extended warranties on hondas 
And then I decided <laughs> I wanted to take care of people with dementia. It's a very normal career track. Totally, <laughs> totally makes sense. Right. So no, that's, that's, it's funny. If you'd have told me in 2014 or 2013, this is what I would be doing. I would have told you you're crazy. You would have won a wonderfully large size bet for me. Uh, my dad got sick and my dad had a really bad experience on hospice. And uh, he passed away in 2014. And I spent uh, the exact amount of time of the statute of limitations in Louisiana trying to figure out if I wanted to sue the hospice company. And I decided not to. And around the time the statute of limitations was ending, uh, whatever you believe in this particular subject matter, I'm not a particularly religious man, but the universe started pointing me in the direction of, hey, maybe you should help people. And uh, I went to a presentation that was apartment-based. They pitched converting into an independent living. So that was kind of the first seed that got planted. Then a week later, I heard a podcast about a gentleman that converts single family houses into assisted living facilities. And I'm like, well, I can do that. I've, I've, I've been in real estate for a long time. You know, I was, I was doing real estate on the side of the dealership. So that felt like bite size to me. And uh, at the time I was, I was engaged. She thought I was crazy. My business partners thought I was crazy. Everyone thought I was nuts. No one believed in me on, on this business. The only exception was, is that there was a guy who told me a long time ago that he doesn't look at deals. He bets on jockeys. So he doesn't care about the horse. He said, if you think it's a good idea, I'm going to financially support this business. And he gave me a, a very generous evaluation on the business. And uh, now, now we're in the process of, of building a really strong uh, assisted living and memory care portfolio. So he didn't really think it was a good idea, but he believed in me enough to know that, that I was going to figure it out. Um, and so I was really inspired by my dad. It was the main reason why I got in the business. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's amazing. One of the things, and, and you kind of answered this partially, is that I, my observation is if you want to get in this business, you have to have a heart for the business because it's not just a real estate play. I looked at it and I was like, you know, anything that makes money, I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. But it's not just the real estate and it is not easy to outsource to a third party. You really have to have an interest in the business itself. And you do, right? You you actually have a, a much bigger why. You want to improve the experience for other people that are going through that experience, which is which is great. Now, for someone that wants to get started in this business, and you talked about some of the scaling business, yes, a lot of people can wrap their head around a single family house versus doing this at scale. But how does the average person get into the business part? Forget the real estate for a second, right? Especially if you're doing it at scale. Now, you described if you're going in there at a house, you're going to be the caretaker. So you have to have some kind of background or interest or passion for it where you're getting into the caretaking itself. Or do you align yourself with a partner? In your case, how are you addressing the business of the actual caretaking? Do you have a partner? Do you create a separate company? Like talk about the, the caretaking side of that business. Yeah, well, you know, I think there's probably a few answers to your question. So, and I think if you maybe flip it on its head and you were to ask that that question, you guys host a fantastic uh, apartment event. Uh, I hope to be at it soon. I don't know when the show is being released, but we either just went to the event or we'll be going soon. And just a few and, days. Um, there deal are um, exactly Dealmaker Live in Dallas live. You know, the thing you got to understand is is that uh, some people have no business being on the active side in apartments fair, that they are successful in their chosen profession, doctors, lawyers, whatever, that uh, they know mobile home parks, but they don't want to learn the intricacies of, of apartment investing. So what do they do is they invest in people that are willing to do that. Um, so obviously one of the ways you can do so is if you believe in the demographics, you believe in the, the situation, you said you looked into it. Well, the first thing you could do is similar to my friend that I referenced, you could find a jockey, an operator that you want to place a wager on and, and you bet on you know them and you invest in them. And, and then obviously you're on the, the limited partner side. I think that's really the best way for people to start in the business. You learn a lot listening to an operator speak through you. Like imagine 
all my investors last year, they got a chance to listen to how we were handling COVID and how we did those things. And imagine like if you're in your first year and you're like, oh, COVID, cool. Um, we had no COVID cases in Dallas, uh, something that very few providers can speak to that. Uh, we had 100% occupancy going in and never had a single case of COVID amongst our resident staff. We had a small amount in our staff. So I think the LP side is very attractive in this space. You know, if you want to start in the business, there's plenty of companies that'll kind of train you to do that. You obviously don't have to have medical background. I don't have any, but you've got to get into relationships or you got to hire people. I think the thing that everyone really doesn't understand about this business, and I should do a better job talking about because there's people that have a different narrative that do the same thing that I do. This is a human resources business. So every bed of assisted living that you have, you're going to have a minimum if you're doing it right of half an employee to almost a full employee. So if you have a thousand beds, you're going to have 500 to 800 employees. Now, if you say that to an apartment person, they're like, uh, all right, I'm done because they're thinking about all they have to deal with. And so it's, an, it's a human resource company. It's not a systems and process company. Yeah, systems and processes are important in this business, but you know there are big providers out there that have systems and processes for everything that don't get good outcomes because the reality is, is that most of this business is finding people with heart and with talent and getting out of their way and letting them be the executive director and run their community the way they think they should run their community inside ethical, moral, and legal framework. And so all my communities look and feel a little differently because they take on the personality of the leader. And it's so funny. Uh, I was having a conversation in Belize um, with a person that was in the special forces. I know you guys have a special guest at your apartment deal. And if you think about the military, right? They like train you to be part of this non-thinking machine in a lot of ways until you become in the special forces. And then they're like, yeah, you can grow a beard. We don't care what your hair looks like. You can wear sunglasses. You can wear, you can grab an enemy combatant weapon and do that. We don't care. Get the job done. And because there's a recognition at some level that um, processes and systems are amazing up until a point. And then the best thing you can do is not get in the way of a person that has talent and let them do what they do well. So a big part of what our company does is I believe in hiring people for talent and attitude. And so if you're going to partner in this business, you're going to get in this business, then you need to be really good at reading people, really good at figuring out who's got the heart and attitude. Because in a job interview, everybody says the right thing. But if you don't ask those subtle questions to really understand where they're coming from, then you might be able to have people you know, tell you something that really isn't true, or they'll take a job for a paycheck, not because they have the right heart and attitude. There are a lot easier ways to earn money than taking care of seniors, especially people with dementia or other, you know, there's obviously adults with disabilities and other things. It's difficult work and you got to have a heart and a passion for it. And so you really want those people that have a greater mission that are willing to put in the time, that are willing to work overtime, that aren't going to go home until the job is done. And so I like to use that military thing because so many people in this day and age are so obsessed with process and scaling that we often forget that sometimes um, when you work for a big company, they literally suck the talent out of their people. And you're like, you got a checklist for this and a checklist for that. And, you know, and then basically all of Hollywood is basically just movies about people that don't follow processes, right? Like it's just, hey, like that Denzel Washington movie where he was an alcoholic, but he was a really good pilot. Like he's like, no one could have done that. And they're like, you're right. No one would have flown the plane upside down. And so the point is, is that I try to basically create systems and processes that kind of create a baseline and create a safety net. But then I really want my key people that I trust to make those decisions. And then if they make a mistake, then let's talk about it and learn from it. And, and most people in our business don't want that. They want everything to be exactly the same. They want to paint every room exactly the same color so that their maintenance guy knows the paint code. And there's just a point to where that's a very effective way to grow a business, but it's not an effective way to take care of people, in my opinion. So for you, the key is hiring that executive director of the community, right? That's your critical hire. That's almost like your partner. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I mean, you can certainly have, um, you know, I think that in your clinical, you know, sometimes your executive director is a nurse. Um, oftentimes they're not often they're more from the business side. Maybe they have an MBA and their healthcare administration or gerontology, but then your, your clinical head, you know, your clinical face, of the team, your director of nursing, that's a really critical person because they're interfacing with the residents, the families, hospice, home health. And so you have three or four really key people, but Obviously, you know, leadership kind of flows down. And so, and you can have different types of executive directors. You know, if you're thinking about, you know, the sort of visionary integrator model, you can actually be a really effective executive director as an integrator. You can also be a really effective executive director as a visionary, but you just, you, you, so, so what I try to do, it was kind of funny the other day I, I hired an executive director in, a, in another state from where I live. And he's like, do we have an org chart? I was like, no. He's like, well, we don't have an org chart. I'm like, No. I was like, he's like, how do we, I was like, here's what we do. You have talent. You're going to hire two or three other talented people. And then we're going to figure out what y'all don't do well. And then we're going to fill those holes. He's like, okay, I like that. Right. Because you have people sometimes that they aren't, don't fit in a box. And a lot of times we try to basically like, we try to hire somebody to fit in this box. And then if they don't, we don't know what to do with them. And sometimes those are the best people in the world. You know, if you think about like Bill Belichick, right. He's like, I hire football players and I let them go play football. doesn't matter if they want to play multiple positions or whatever the case may be. He just tries to put talented people on the field. And that's what I try to do in, in, in this business is just put talented people in a position to be successful. This is really cool. Now, is there a way you can apply some of these strategies to apartment buildings? What would that look like? Yeah, no, great question. Um, I've actually pitched this to a few apartment guys over the years. So full disclosure, I know nothing about independent living. In the scheme of things, my focus in my business, we take care of people's needs, right? So if you have a mobility problem, you've got dementia, you have a need, right? If you want to go hang out with your friends and play tennis and golf, that's more of a want, right? In the sort of senior housing space. Um, so I don't know a lot about it, but in my opinion, in a, in a marketplace like apartments are now, where there's a lot of capital, there's a lot of groups all competing after deals, if you have in your toolbox the ability to analyze a deal both as an apartment and converting it to an age-restricted community, then it's another tool in your toolbox where you can actually like maybe boost EBITDA or boost NOI, you know, which are the same thing. And I know apartment people don't necessarily talk about EBITDA much, but um, if you can boost the net operating income by simply, you know, having an overlay of maybe what if we change this community, you know, maybe there's supply demand imbalances in a particular town in Florida for apartments. And then if you look at it for independent living, maybe it's in huge demand and you can literally you know, convert it. So I think there is definitely a case for that. Um, there's obviously certain buildings that are going to lend themselves better to that, right? Like you probably wouldn't do a four-story you know, stairs-only building, but there are some certain some situations. And I'm actually, to some of your counterparts have explained that I think having that underwriting overlay could be a powerful technique. What advice would you give someone interested in getting started with assisted living? 99 times out of 100, I would say don't um, would actually be the advice that I would give. But, but again, to, to your point, uh, Michael said earlier, you have to have a heart for it. And so, um, you know, the first thing I do, you know, I, I used to coach folks in this space. I no longer do. Sorry, if you, you want to coach, I can refer you to one. Please email me. I'll get you hooked up, but it's not me. So, uh, you know, what, what I would say, the first thing is figure out what's your why. And your why has to be really strong. If, you're, if your why is to make money only, or that's your primary motivator, this is probably in the business for you. But once you kind of get a clear why, and I kind of understand that, the next question I'm going to ask you is who's on your team and what are your core competencies? Because I was just very fortunate having come from a sales and marketing background and really focusing on communication. I brought a communication element to this business that I thought was lacking. And so I was able to find success because if you think about it, if you want to disrupt an industry, you almost never come from the industry. You almost always come from the outside because you're a fresh set of eyes. 
And so you, you go to people and you say, what's broken about this industry? How do we fix that? Or that can't be the way things are done. And you just go back through history. It's just countless examples of people coming from outside the industry, making changes. And everyone's like, why didn't we think of this? It's because they were inside the business. They couldn't see the forest for the trees, right? So, I mean, I think the, the next piece of advice I would give after that would be, you know, figure out what your core competencies are on, the, are on the team. There's a lot of ways to be successful in assisted living and memory care without a healthcare background, but you got to partner with people that, that have that. And, and, then, and then you have to kind of bridge that gap because if you think about a big problem with U.S. healthcare, they don't communicate very well at all. Communication in healthcare is terrible. And so I just said, hey, if I can solve the communication problem, I can build a brand around communication in assisted living and memory care. And so I think really understanding who you are, what you're good at, whether it be a personality profile or a track record. And the final piece of advice would be if you haven't been successful in anything else, you're probably not going to be successful in this business. What I've seen sometimes is there's people that, are, that have these dreams and, and they want to help people and their why is very strong, but their background isn't one of perseverance, isn't of resiliency. Because in this business, you will, you will metaphorically get punched and you will literally get punched sometimes by dementia patients. And this is the classic, everyone's got a plan until they get punched. You know, when you build your first house, and you're like, I'm ready to open. And the state goes, hey, you missed this or this. You need to make that a commercial kitchen. Go find $50,000 and call me. That causes a lot of entrepreneurs to fold because there is a regulatory component of this. There's just other elements to this that you have to have a lot of intestinal fortitude. You know, It's like there's a lot of kids right now that, that are dreaming of being an astronaut. But at the end of the day, if you can't handle G-forces, then you know, your, your career is going to end in the Houston control room. You, know, you can still add a big impact on the mission. But you're probably not going to be an astronaut if you can't handle G-Force. And so I think learning that about yourself is really important. So, Lo, this has been great. I always uh, love chatting with you about this and learning about these other asset classes. They're, they're real estate, but they have a slightly different flavor. So I really appreciate sharing some of the, the pros and cons and nuances of assisted living. How can people connect with you, Lo? Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Look, if people need advice on getting started, happy to offer that. Again, I'm not coaching anymore, but I'll be sure to, to, to route them in the right direction. Uh, obviously, they want to learn about investing. We certainly have that platform. The best thing to do is go to our website. Our capital raising company is goodhorncapital.com. So my name's Hornbuckle. My business partner's named Good, goodhorncapital.com. And uh, they can go there. We have a, a giveaway we've set up for your show. So they can just go on there. They'll get a copy of our book called The Say Joke Story, which is our operations company. And then, of course, they can, they can get in touch with us there. And then, you know, my name's pretty unique. You can follow me on LinkedIn. That's a great place to professionally connect. And then I'm happy to talk to them about the industry, help them with investing, or if they want to get started, you know, try to help point them in, in, the, uh, in the right direction. It's awesome. Lo, uh, thanks for being on the show today. Awesome. It was good to see you again. And, and Garrett, it was nice to uh, finally meet you. Yeah, same here. Thanks for listening, everybody. And one of the things that stood out for me, Garrett, is that it is all about, he, he's, it's a human resource business. And he kind of made it sound like assisted living facility is unique in that, in that uh, aspect. I don't think it is at all. I think almost every business is a human resource business. Yeah, I, I believe that too. I mean, I, I think that it really is at the end of the day about the people. I think that in the, what surprised me that he said was that this in this business, it's one for every better, one and a half beds for every person hired. So it's a much more, there's many more people that are involved in that on the HR side than I would have ever thought in that business. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's a people business. Like even our business, we just have a lot more doors for the people that we hire. 
I mean, I looked at this business a couple, three years ago. I was just intrigued by it. It was, uh, it was one of those things where the numbers looked very good and you're making a difference. And, you know, that combination always gets my attention. So I looked into it and I realized that you do have to have a heart or some kind of strong why about caring for others. In other words, it can't just be about making money. That's not going to be successful. So my conclusion in looking at it is it was highly profitable. And for me, the best way to engage and get started is, is to partner with a caretaker, right? Someone who's a strong operator, who's maybe an executive director or has worked for assisted living, and they really want to do this on their own. But what they're missing is capital. And that's perfect, right? There's a lot of people in the, in the real estate business that can raise capital. And what you need is a strong operator. If I had a very strong operator who want to do this at scale, like low, for example, or there's other people in the business then I would maybe partner with a strong operator. I would do the same thing, by the way, in other asset classes such as mobile home parks and self-storage that are really hard to outsource to third-party professional managers. The best way to do it is to self-manage those. So partnering with a self-manager, someone who's got a strong operation and they need to scale, that's how I would get into the business. Yeah, and it's it's different from apartments, I think, in that way. It's apartments, to be become an active, I mean, there's, there's a lot of resources around that. And- you know, it's it's a little bit different than this to become an active operator. I mean, he had kind of a history in the business. Now anyone can get into it, of course, uh, in that side. But that's that's a really good inflection point and a really good way to overcome that barrier to entry is to partner with someone like Low that that just is knows his stuff inside and out, versus trying to take it head on and go get the capital on the other side. But it's always interesting to see how other people are doing real estate. You know, we talked about turning some units into short-term rentals. We talked about how do we create multiple profit centers inside a multifamily. This is an interesting idea, Garrett, right? How can we possibly, if we're in an area where we have age-restricted or is an opportunity, we're 55 and over, for example, right? How do we cater to the demographic? We have one Sierra place where we, you know, it was a more Latino demographic. What can we do to attract more and cater to that community to make it really special. So if we're in an area like like this, an age-restricted area, what can we do to attract more like that and create a community around that? So these are, I just love bringing people like down because it gives me ideas how I can improve my own business. Yeah. And what, what you'll notice and that I've found at least in, in this industry and in the apartment industry is if you create like a culture around your property, it actually somehow it, it does better just overall. Your occupancy stays higher. Sierra Place, a prime example, like you just mentioned, we can't turn people away. We've jacked the rents over $400, created an amazing community for people to live in. And because there's just that culture that's going on there that they tell their friends, they want to be a part of it. And so you get this phenomenon that happens that that's what you're finding. That's why Lowe said his was hundred percent occupied. I'm sure as well, it all ties together. And so that's, that's such a cool reminder to have him on the show and talking about that. Yeah, several years ago, I started going to the Real Estate Guys Summits, and one of the things they do very well is they look at the macroeconomic environment and why we talk about financial freedom with real estate on the show with a focus on multifamily. Every once in a while, it really helps to just look at the bigger picture, what's going on in the economy, you know, what's going on with the valuation of the dollar, the gold, inflation, interest rates, and also how are other people in related asset classes, how are they doing, and what can you glean from them? So hopefully we did that today as well. And by the way, if you're interested in Investing with us, and you think that we might be a good operator, which Garrett, I hope we we are. 
and you do not want to become an active investor in multifamily, we'd love to have a conversation with you at Nighthawk Equity, which is our investment firm. Go to nighthawkequity.com and click the join button, and that allows you to schedule a call with us, and we'd love to talk to you about some upcoming opportunities. So if you're not going to DealMaker Live right now, either in person or via the live stream, do that right now. Go dealmakerliveevent.com and grab yourself a ticket. Hope to see you there in person or virtual. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.